we start a new series today from the Psalms. And uh, the Psalms have been a special companion to many of you. Uh, and uh, a prayer book, a song book. And maybe you even have been quoting some Psalms and reading some in recent days. And uh, it's a it's a joy to, to dive into this portion of Scripture and see what the Psalms have to say to us in these days. I read a, an, a, a, an unlikely tale. It probably is urban legend. It probably didn't happen, but it's a neat story anyway. It's about the artist Michelangelo, and he was asked about the difficulties that he must have, in, have encountered in sculpting his masterpiece David and he said allegedly well you just chip away all the stone that doesn't look like David (laughs) and then you have it and this conversation probably didn't happen just like that but he's quoted in other places sharing similar ideas one one place he said this the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work it's already there I just have to chisel away the superfluous material In many ways, that's a helpful image maybe for our own lives, isn't it? We are people who are fearfully, as Psalm 139 tells us, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. We're created for God's purposes. We are designed for God's uh, ways to make a difference in the world. And yet, we know very deeply, even this morning at even a deeper level, we know what it is to be encumbered with so much superfluous material that our true self sometimes has a hard time getting out. One of the biblical images that uh, is on the screen this morning that speaks to the same reality from sort of a different angle is the story from Jeremiah 18 where the prophet Jeremiah was sent down to the, to the potter's house by the Lord and told to go there and, and hear a message from the Lord. And when he got to the potter's house, Jeremiah saw the potter at work on his potter's wheel. And, and the potter, when the clay, uh, he was, the pot he was making did not turn out as he had hoped it would broke it down again into a lump of clay and began the process of shaping and forming all over again. O Israel, the Lord says, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. God is shaping. God is forming. God is at work. Whether he's chiseling away the superfluous material or whether he's breaking us back down so that he might build us back up. The beautiful promise that we have this morning and that comes through powerfully in the Psalms, powerfully in our lives is this this reality that God is at work forming us, working in our lives. He has He has strong and gentle hands. 
and His dreams and desires and designs for us are coming about. He has, he has great hopes for us. And, and, and one of our greatest hopes is that He's not done with us yet. <laughs> that He is at work. That He is shaping us and, and making us. And through the presence and power of His Spirit in the world, He's still in the, very much in the business of making us into the people that He called us to be, that He created us to be, that He needs us to be in, in His world. We're still very much on that potter's wheel. I love this image. It's still very much us. None of us have finished. In fact, just don't say it. If you feel tempted to say that's just the way I am, just don't say it. All right? just, I mean, yes, God made you uniquely and, and with certain gifts and abilities and talents and personality, but He's always in the business of shaping that and forming that more and more in His own image. I think most of us would say amen to that. Um, and, and the reality is, again, this morning as we sit here in this place, that we, we have a deep recognition of all the ways that God is forming us. The, the, the stories that we just shared, um, the, the experiences that we have had here in worship together, experiences perhaps some of you have had um, Trish just personally. Um, the, the relationships with others that God has brought into our lives, the conversation, I mean, maybe some of us can point to a conversation or a particular moment when, when, when now we look back and we say, wow, God, you were doing something in that moment I didn't even have any idea about, but that, that moment or that season of my life when, when I, I had no idea what was happening in the midst of it, but now I look back on it, I see the transformative work that you were occasioning in, in my life, so many different ways. And of course, through the pages of Scripture, and as we read in 2 Timothy, actually, a couple of weeks ago, these words, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And perhaps... Uh, throughout the, the history of God's people, no more has, have this, than the Psalms, um, no, more, no other scripture perhaps than the Psalms have been used to shape and to form God's people. These prayers, these, these songs, this, this hymn book of Israel, this, this soundtrack really to the story that God was telling in them and through them. And the Psalms, if you're not really familiar, again, you can open up your Bible to the middle and you'll likely land on one of them, 150 of them strong. They served as a means of, and they serve, not only did they, but they do serve as a means of reaffirmation, of reignition, of regenerating and renewing not only our allegiance to God, but they speak aloud the some of the very specific convictions that we have. In fact, maybe you've heard people say this to you. If you just don't know what to pray or how to pray, if you don't quite know how to praise or how to interact with God, then just open up the Psalms and begin to read them. And before long, you will find yourself agreeing, yes, those are actually the words that I'm feeling. Those are actually the words that I want to say. I didn't even quite know how to say them, but God in His 
wisdom has given us these, these words. They, they're words that give voice to our emotions. The, the depth of, of joy and pain and anguish that are found in the Psalms are, are stuff that we know about as, as human people. They teach us how to live in relationship to this God who loves us and who made us, who longs to be with us. And they're just, they're just, can I just say this, one more thing about the Psalms, at least one, they're handy. I mean, they are so good. They're so helpful. And time and time again, for whether it's me as a pastor or you in a place in your life, in hospital rooms, in, on mountaintops, by gravesides, I can't tell you all the places where I've read a psalm <laughs> and where a psalm has spoken to me and has spoken for me to the Lord. Somebody said it like this, it would seem that wherever we find ourselves in whatever circumstance or situation, there's a psalm for that. And it's, it's true. No denying the power of these words to speak to our own hearts. The Lord is my shepherd. As the deer pants for the water. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Maybe you have a favorite. If you don't have a favorite, Start reading. Start checking them out. So we want to just submit ourselves to the Psalms for a few weeks. And just maybe imagine yourself as that big block of marble, even right now, or that lump of clay. And whether God's chiseling away so that your true self might emerge, or shaping and forming whatever image perhaps works best for you at this place and season, He's making us and creating us, recreating us, the people he longs us to be. Psalm 32 today, Psalm 32, verses 1 to 7. Let me just read it for us. You can just remain seated. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, for, yes what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place you protect me from trouble you surround me 
with songs of victory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's recorded that Psalm 32 was St. Augustine, early church father, that it was his favorite psalm. That's saying something. Augustine was familiar with the psalms and, uh, and had lived into them each, I'm sure. But it said that he read it frequently and that actually before he died, he had its words inscribed on the wall by his sickbed to be exercised and comforted by them. And if you know a little bit about St. Augustine, you know that his life had been one of ups and downs, one who had felt the, the pain and the sorrow, the anguish of his sin deeply and had also felt the redeeming, loving, freeing forgiveness of God at even greater depths. And so even as he came to the last days to read it and be comforted, here in these words, and you can look back over them if you have your Bible open, is a joyous celebration of the sweeping forgiveness of God, the gracious activity that comes through here so powerfully of a God who clears the record of sin and guilt of the sinful. But here as well, if you missed it, is a recognition of the destructive power of sin and its ability when unconfessed and unchecked to bring devastation to our lives. It's something that we didn't necessarily need the psalm to tell us. This morning, most of us perhaps have been in that place and we felt the heavy hand of God seemingly upon us. We've felt the anguish. We've cried out even. We've felt the heavy heart of sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a 20th century German theologian, wrote eloquently if not tragically, of sin's strategy and effects that come through so clearly here in Psalm 32. He said this, sin demands to have a person by, by him or herself. It, would, it withdraws that person from the community. This is what sin wants to do, Bonhoeffer said. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin. And the more deeply that person becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his or her isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. And again, most of us know the strategy and the schemes of sin personally and have experienced at least some of what the psalmist writes here in Psalm 32. But after speaking of the experience of the dark consequences of sin, if you have your Bible there, you can see that in verse 5, the author here, most likely David, seems to be reawakened to the reality of God's character in the midst of the darkest hour, perhaps, he's reminded. And as he wastes away under the heavy burden of his sin, perhaps he recalls a distant memory. 
recalls stories perhaps of a faithful and a persistent God who has not and will not, and as we sang this morning, will never forsake His people. Who lives to bring life to dry bones. And who would indeed mercifully forgive and restore any who came with a contrite spirit. And so with this in mind, the psalmist recognizes that the only path to healing of his sin wound is through confession. And he acknowledges his sin. And he refuses to hide the truth and allow sin to remain in the dark anymore. And the response from God is immediate and complete. The psalmist says, you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And then with this revelation comes the reminders of all that God has done. Not not only will He forgive me in this moment of confession, but I'm remembering now this psalmist seems to be flooded with, with, with thoughts of all that God has done and all that God will do for His people. He summons the faithful there to pray in verse 6. Not so that the Lord will deliver in times of distress, but to pray because this is exactly what God does. He delivers in times of distress. It's the kind of God that He is. He acts out of love to rescue His people. And He goes on to speak these powerful words there in verse 7. This God is our hiding place. Maybe if you're anything like me, you immediately think of the chorus that we sang back in the, i got to say, 80s, maybe 90s. You are my hiding place. 70s, thank you. I wasn't going to admit it, Doug, but I'll let you. And, and, and we're mindful of the fact that... Uh, that, uh, that this God is a, is a safe place. This God is a refuge for His people in times of trouble. This God is the, is, the, is the house on the block with the card out front that says, this is a safe place. Come here if you're having problems. This God is our hiding place. He's our protector. <laughs> He's the one who sings songs of victory over us. He's the one who replaces our cries of sorrow with these songs of hope. And there's this beautiful acknowledgement that the isolation and the silence of sin broken this this heaviness or silence is so silent that it's so loud it's broken and in confession the light of the gospel this this reckless love of God is is breaking out and breaking forth and being poured out on this one who is 
allowed the light now to shine into the darkness of his heart. A safe place, a place of protection, a place of comfort, even a place of comfort from the sins of, of others, perhaps. What a promise. What a promise we have. And, and for the psalmist, as I, as I look at this, I, I've been thinking that what forms him the most in this passage and what we need to hear, at least on one level this morning, to allow us to form us and to shape us is this confidence. And, and again, may we all hear this with fresh ears this morning. Perhaps you've heard this before a hundred times, but this confidence that there is one, that there is one who will take away his sin. The, the sin that has plagued him from his past, the sin that still grips him perhaps even in these moments. There's one who will take away the sin that will remove from him the guilt of it when he comes to him in confession. This, this is formative, this confidence, this is shaping. It, it's forming him that he knows, uh, again, for a, the, a, a new and, and beautiful and this powerful moment that he doesn't have to carry this sin around any longer. It's formative for him and it should be formative for us that it doesn't have to define him anymore. Our own sin or the sins of others that have been committed against us does not have to be that which defines us any longer. What might it do to our own hearts today to be reminded again that our God is for us? He's not against us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's taking the initiative. He's given us the opportunity. He invites us to respond and to open our lives to Him. What might it mean for our lives to be formed in such a way that we were able to come to a place of freedom from bondage to sin in our lives? And to be set loose to love and to serve God in new and adventurous ways. In this case, the, um, the deliverance is from sin. It's unmistakable, right, in this passage. The, the deliverance here is from our brokenness our sin, brought on by confession and forgiveness. But, but to extend and expand the psalm a little bit for us this morning. The reality here in these words is also that this is a promise of God for deliverance from other times of distress and discouragement and pain. It's a promise of, of protection, a promise of new songs of hope being sung. It's a promise of a hiding place that's available, a place of refuge, a place of security, a place of safety that is available even amidst the stress of loss. 
even for us this morning. And so when we hear these words today, you are my hiding place. Has there been a safe place for you? Maybe uh, my daughter Katie's back here this weekend again, and it's great to see her. I remember she was really, really little, and she was climbed up on my lap. And uh, she was getting bigger, and I could see the day coming when perhaps she wouldn't want to do that much longer. So I just squeezed her tight, and I said, just do this anytime. <laughs> For years and years to come, do this anytime. My arms are always open to you. And even if I'm old and breaking down, you can sit on my lap. Not old and breaking down quite yet. And I hope she will. <laughs> but what I intended to create in that place, now if my son sat on me, I would definitely break down. But um, what I intended in that moment was to provide for her a safe place. Some of you have a safe place. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a scripture. Maybe it's a actually a location in your home or on the beach or somewhere else that's, a, that's just been a safe place for you in the mountains, a place where you can go, a place where you can just be, a place where you can sense the surrounding, strengthening, perhaps, love of God. I read the psalm this week and especially over the last couple of days. I've just been reminded and I've been like encouraged and I've just been just drawn to this invitation of God to, for me to let him be my hiding place. And to, in the celebration of all that he's done for me and all that he's done for us in his sweeping forgiveness to, to come to Him and to, to feel the safety of His loving arms around me and to know that I'm secure in His arms. And I pray that for you today. Pray that for each and every one. If there'd be anybody here today who would still feel themselves in that place of bondage to sin, that, that today could be a day when you would say, just I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let the forgiveness of God come in its place. I'm going to find a new place of safety dwelling in the heart of God. And for those of us who, this again, may feel the loss this morning so deeply of Trish, and, just, and maybe that even reignites or sort of brings to mind other emotions or other experiences of loss in our lives. Maybe it brings us to head with just our own reality, which may be a place of just discouragement for whatever reason today. I pray that you'd hear that invitation as well from God to let Him be your hiding place today. You are my hiding place.
You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. We get to receive the Lord's Supper today. What a perfect expression of our worship today. As we come to the table to receive of the outpouring of the grace of God as revealed to us in the broken body and shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And today, as we come to God, our hiding place, He gives of Himself as He has given of Himself always, fully and freely. And as we receive of the bread and as we receive of the cup today, we're reminded of God's presence that is with us, that longs to be near to us, that fills us, that strengthens us. And I pray that as you receive these elements today, that you would receive them as nourishment from God, as reminders, yes, of the depth of His love, as an invitation to life with Him, and as nourishment for your journey today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and just and our servers, if you can come here and I'll serve you first. Um, but let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your nearness and your presence with us today. We, we give you thanks. We, we just don't take any of it for granted. And it's a different day and kind of day. And yet it's a day when we long to regardless of circumstance and situation, long to just declare that Jesus is Lord, that God, you're in charge, and uh, you can have your way in us. And so we've been mindful, again, to declare of your sweeping, grand grace here today. The grace that reaches to each of us right where we are. Some this morning struggling with the the burden of sin and brokenness, isolation and separation from you, darkness, clouding perhaps their soul. God, would you break through? Would there be a place for confession, even in these moments of receiving the Lord's Supper, a place for simply saying, I'm sorry, Jesus, and I want you to come and to live your life in my heart and in me to be my Lord and my Savior, my leader. Just come and take charge. Come and have your way. Free me from the, from the bondage that I've felt for so long. And for others this morning who sensed the distress of loss and the distress of um, brokenness as we think about the circumstances and situations of our own lives, Perhaps other relationships, perhaps other concerns and burdens that weigh heavy upon us. God, will we sense your presence and will we sense your love reaching as well in beautiful and powerful ways, inviting us to find a place of refuge in you. You're our deliverer. You're singing songs of 
hope and victory even now. So God, thank you for Jesus who gave of his life on the cross that we might be forgiven, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. Thank you that on the night before this happened, on the night that he was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he laid it all out for them and broke the bread and passed it to them and said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat. Each time you do, remember. Remember me and after supper, he took the cup and passed it to them. And This is symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Take of it and drink and each time you do, remember me. And so as we come to this place, And to this moment, we will remember you, Jesus, your sacrifice for us, your provision for us, both for now and forever. And we will do so with hearts full of gratitude and full of expectation. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.